next on Contemplate. And if you're a Christian right now and you're saying, I accepted the Lord, I've been living in the Lord for five, 10 years, and to be honest with you, my life only looks a little tiny bit different than it did when I was not saved, then I hate to tell you, but you're not following Christ. You may be saved, but you're not following Christ. If it doesn't push up against you, if it doesn't hurt, if it's not that dark adventure that's in front of you that you can't see the end of it and you're constantly having to take step of faith after step of faith, you're not following Christ. Because that's what it looks like. Pastor David will be teaching us about same-sex relationships today and not what you might expect, but all true and straight from God's Word. Here's Pastor David. In, in the book, Love Thy Body, Nancy Pearcey writes about a woman named Jean Lloyd, okay? When Jean was 15 years old, uh, she had heard about this gender-bending prom that happened at the local high school somewhere near her. So she decided to wear a tuxedo to prom to kind of, uh, you know, push the limits, show her gender-bending whatever, okay? And she was the only one who did it at her high school, and this was back in the mid-'80s, so it was, it was kind of a big deal, Right? She was saying, look, I'm not going to be stereotyped. And she lived as a lesbian, um, as, a, as an out lesbian for, for some time. And then uh, this is what happened. She describes this. She says, she began to trust the one who knew the truth of my identity more than I did, who wrote his, mess, his image into my being and body as female and who designed sexuality and set boundaries upon it for my good. Now, when she started to realize that and starts following Christ, she lives a celibate life for about 10 years, learning to live and grow in love for God and to, and to experience his love for her body, soul, spirit, without creating dichotomies and dualisms. And then she says, this is what happened. To my utter surprise, a flicker of heterosexual desire emerged. As I approach 40, I certainly never dreamed I would marry, but now as I ride, I struggle to finish because my youngest child is tugging at my arm. My beloved husband, my children's father, will soon be home from work. That's not going to be the story for everybody that struggles with same-sex attraction and temptation. But for her, that is how God restored her. She recognized the issues at play, and she recognized that if God made her a woman, then the only proper the only proper sexual relationship she could have was with a man that she was married to. And she couldn't at a certain point because she was only attracted to women, couldn't do that, so she lived celibate. And then God gave her some desires and she married a man. Great. But here's some things that are really important about her story. She says this. Um, she wrote an article about seven things or something like that that I wish my pastor understood about my homosexuality. And this is one of the things she said. She said, during my upbringing, I heard a few fiery sermons on homosexuality. These days I hear declarations of love instead. They make me shout for joy. Amen, it always should have been so. But then she outlines a problem. And I want you to listen very carefully because this is a problem. At the same time, however, many pastors have begun accompanying this love with an shul of biblical sexual morality as oppressive, unreasonable, or unkind. Hence, loving homosexual persons also comes to entail affirming and encouraging them in same-sex sexual relationships and behaviors. 
She says, although I appreciate the desire to act in love, this isn't the genuine love that people like me need. Love me better than that. I wish you knew a better way to help me honor my body by living in accord with the creator's design. I was born this way, female. God did create me a woman. Please don't fall into the Gnostic dualism. We just talked about that. That divides my spiritual life from the life I live now in my body. Christ became incarnate. My very body is now part of his body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. To act against its design in same-sex sexual action harms the dignity of my body. For my homosexually attracted brothers, same-sex sex harms their bodies even more because of their physiological design and the physical effects of going against that design. These bodies will be raised again. They matter. Jean Lloyd is saying that there is a unity between her body her soul, and her spirit. They're one, they're not separated. And that loving her means God, recognizing that God has created that unity. She's asking pastors and believers in general not to sacrifice the truth in favor of some sort of dualism just so we can avoid speaking the tough truth. Because she's saying that's actually not loving. I actually don't experience that as love when you pretend that the Bible doesn't say what it says, or worse, you reject what the Bible clearly says just to try to make me feel better instead of telling me what I need to get better. When we say uh, that same-sex sexual relationships are okay, we're harming people. We're harming people like Jean. That's what she's telling us. We're acting against God's love for her and others when we do that. Romans 1 tells us that God's wrath is being revealed for those who, among other things, approve of those who practice sin. All sin. This is not a same-sex sexual relationship specific thing. Any sin. If you know that your husband or your wife or your friend or the person sitting next to you is engaged in a lifestyle of sin and you approve or wink at or implicitly give them the impression that you're okay with what they're doing, God's wrath is coming for that because you're harming people because you don't have the guts to tell them the truth. Loving is hard. Loving risks rejection. Loving risks everything. And if the cross doesn't show us that, I don't know what would. Gene Lloyd is saying, tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. And whatever it is, gluttony, gossip, greed, pride, sexual immorality, whatever it is, pornography, violence, oppression, holding grudges, whatever's going on among us, it's our job to speak the truth to each other in love, right? It's our job. You are not loving people with same-sex attraction by telling them that you approve of their same-sex sexual relationships. You're not loving people by doing that. That's what the world wants to tell you. But actually, you're being cowardly about the truth and hurting them. It's unloving to approve of any sin, period. It's unloving. I know that we bought into this idea that kindness means no conflict. I know that we've bought into that. And, and there's something to that. Because the way some people do conflict is very unhealthy and can be oppressive and can be harsh. And I'm not advocating for that. 
But the idea that kindness means no conflict is false. The kind of, kindness is something that should come out of love. And love is something that will always push conflict. The, the beloved is always someone who there's going to be conflict with because you're, you're desiring the best. God chastens those he loves, right? We do the same. And somehow we've allowed culture to scare us, frankly, into believing that we cannot and should not say things that are true about certain behaviors because it's no longer acceptable and sometimes even illegal. If things go the way they're going, you think I'll be able to give this sermon in 50 years, 20 years, 10 years? As an attorney, I can tell you, unlikely. I still will, but probably from a jail cell. That's the reality we're in. That's the reality we're in. We're in such a place that if you want to speak truth at all, even though we know it's a loving thing to do, you will face backlash. Well, saddle up. I never said Christianity was easy. That was some other place you heard that. You didn't hear that from me. All right. We should treat people who are attracted to people of the same sex the same way we treat people who are attracted to people of the opposite sex. Which is to say... We teach and admonish that God's plan is for sex to happen only in the context of a loving, committed, lifelong marriage with one man and one woman, period. That means that if you cannot be in that kind of a relationship because you simply can't, uh, your attractions simply don't allow it, or if you're not because it doesn't happen to be the case right now that you're in that kind of a marriage, then guess what? Celibacy. Oh, celibacy. What am I going to do? Grow up. All of you were celibate for the first however many years of your life, right? You were alive and you were fine and you were running around and you were doing stuff, okay? Celibacy is not death regardless of what culture tells you, but that's the reality. If you're not or cannot be in a loving, committed, lifelong marriage between a man and a woman, celibacy, that's it. Anything else is sin that needs to be confessed and repented from. I'm sorry, but this is the truth. And if you reject it, you reject not man, but God. That's it. All right, listen. Because that's true, when we do something different and say, well, yes, we agree with that, for opposite attracted, these terms get, for people who are attracted to the opposite sex, but for people who are attracted to the same sex, we're okay with it. When we do that, this is what, this is what Jean Lloyd says. This is what she writes. I should be credited with the same moral agency and responsibility as everyone else in the Christian community. If unmarried heterosexuals are called to celibacy and are presumed in Christ to have the power to live out his commands, then so should I be. To treat me according to a different standard is to lower my dignity before God. I, too, am called to be holy. She flips the idea that we should accept all this on its head and says, listen, when you say, when you try to be nice, when you try to get along with the culture and say, okay, it's okay, engage in this kind of behavior, it's okay, what you're actually doing is you're separating me out and saying that I'm not called to the same kind of holiness that you're called to, that I'm somehow separate, that I'm somehow different. And that's lowering my dignity before God. That's a serious claim to make. Lowering someone's dignity before God. And that's exactly what we're doing when we do that. We're not loving. We're saying this person's less important. 
because we don't want to have to say the hard things. Sam Albury, who I talked to you about earlier, he's actually a pastor, and he is same-sex attracted. As far as I know, he is solely same-sex attracted. He is not attracted to women. He's only attracted to men. He lives as a celibate man, as a pastor, um, and he sees this compromise that the church has made in the same way as sort of singling out same-sex sexuality as some sort of different thing. He says this, it's the same for all of us, whoever. I am called, I am to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. Every Christian is called to costly sacrifice. Denying yourself does not mean tweaking your behavior here and there. It is saying no to your deepest sense of who you are for the sake of Christ. To take up a cross is to declare your life, as you have known it, forfeit. It is laying down your life for the very reason that your life, it turns out, is not yours at all. It belongs to Jesus. He made it, and through his death, he has bought it. He goes on and says this. He writes this. Ever since I've been open about my own experiences with homosexuality, a number of Christians have said something like this. The gospel must be harder for you than it is for me. As though I have more to give up than they do. But the fact is that the gospel demands everything out of all of us. If someone thinks the gospel is somehow slotted into their life quite easily without causing major adjustments to their lifestyle or aspirations, it is likely that they have not really started following Jesus at all. Think about what he's saying there. Because when we think about the, the story is that if you're same-sex attracted and have to live a celibate life, that that is the ultimate sacrifice, only because we've made sex the ultimate prize. Marriage and sex, marriage and sex happens in the church too, Right? Where's the, you know, guy or guy comes to the church, where are the girls? Where are the girls? Where are the girls? Got to get married. Got to get married. Got to have sex. Got to have sex. Got to get married. Got to have sex. It's like, woohoo! What about Jesus? Where does Jesus come into that? Because if Jesus isn't first, the rest of it's all going to be a joke. And then he says, well, that's easy for you to say. You're married and you get to have sex. Here's the thing. Yeah. And if I don't seek Jesus first, that's all a joke too. I'll never be anything to her. If I'm not looking to Jesus first, just a little side note, marriage and sex are not everything. Guess what's not going to exist in heaven? Marriage and sex. <laughs> what would we do? Probably eat chocolate. I don't know. Listen, we have, we have said, we don't care what God wants. We want to chase after pleasure, Right? And in doing so, we have lifted up marriage and sex as these things. What Sam Albury is saying is, listen, what I'm called to give up by even having to be celibate for my whole life is no more than all of you are being called to give up somewhere. And if you're a Christian right now and you're saying, I accepted the Lord, I've been living in the Lord for five, ten years, and to be honest with you, my life only looks a little tiny bit different than it did when I was not saved, then I hate to tell you, but you're not following Christ. You may be saved, but you're not following Christ. If it doesn't push up against you, if it doesn't hurt, if it's not that dark adventure that's in front of you that you can't see the end of it and you're constantly having to take step of faith after step of faith, you're not following Christ. Because that's what it looks like. All right. Same-sex attraction is a temptation that many people face. And we as Christ followers, love all people. They are made in the image and likeness of God. And they have a temptation to bear 
that is difficult and heavy. We do not love them by rejecting them. And we do not love them by telling them to follow their temptation. You see, those are the two sides. There's always two sides. The pendulum swings over here and we say, gay is bad and blah, you know, they're good, you know, God doesn't love. And we had people out here a few weeks ago with their bullhorn and whatever. And it's like, dude, grow up, right? No offense if you're here. Then on this side, it's, no, we just got to accept everything and celebrate everything. Well, the middle is always hard because you're holding the tensions, And you're saying, I'm not going to reject this person that God created in his image and likeness. But neither am I going to accept the behavior that God has said not to do. That's not good for them. And so I've got to make these people mad and these people mad if I want to love this person. And that's where you have to be. It's not easy. But I can tell you that it works. The people who I'm in relationship with who have not necessarily come to the Lord yet, who are still walking through and struggling through and whatever, I'm able to have fantastic, deep relationship with those who identify as gay or lesbian because they know that although I can't go over here, I would never go over there. They know that I love them and that I disagree and that both those things can happen and it can be a real love and a real disagreement. Learning to live like that is tough. We love people sometimes by sharing their pain, by mourning with those who mourn. Some of these people are mourning. Some of these people are thinking, I never asked for this. I never asked to be attracted to people of my own gender and to not be able to be attracted to people of the opposite gender so that I can have a normal marriage and kids and a normal life. And I'm mourning the loss of that. And the response of some people is to say, oh, you're a queer. Oh, we reject you. That's not Christ's response. It never was. And that can't be our response. Our response has to be, I mourn with you. And I pray for the redemption of your body and mind and soul and spirit. I pray for that. And I can point you to the one, the only one that's capable of doing that, Jesus Christ. That's how we have to live. You know, Nancy Pierce wrote about the research of this woman, Lisa Diamond, and she found that 25% of men and 50% of women who identify as heterosexual have had at least one same-sex attraction, sexual attraction, in the past year. So that means that in this room, and for many who listen to this online or whatever, many of them have struggled with this at some level or another. It's your brothers and sisters sitting right here. You think it's not? You think it's out there somewhere? It's not. It's the people that I love in this room. It's the people that you love that you don't know about. Because you know why? Because they're afraid to tell you about the struggle. Because you know why? Because they're afraid that you're going to be over on this side and reject them. Instead of saying, come on, let's, let's work through this. Let's talk about who you are in Christ. These are our brothers and sisters, and we need to learn how to love them as they deserve to be loved according to the love of Christ that compels us to love those who he calls his. As the old song said, all you need is love. That really is the answer to love people, all people, the way Jesus does.
Next time, Pastor David will teach us about transgender issues, and it's a powerful episode that you don't want to miss. Until then, if we can help you in any way, no matter what side of this issue you're on, call us at 360-885-9000. Or send us an email. Use info at axchurchnw.org. Hope to hear from you soon, and I hope to see you next time here on Contemplate.